So welcome, this is part two of the climb. Let's open up in prayer quickly. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for the move of your spirit that guides us into all truth, that takes us on journeys and facilitates us experiencing the wonder of the kingdom of God and the presence of the Lord. And I pray that hearts would be open to receive this word and it will bear fruit and reap a harvest a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so just to recap, there seems to be something significant about mountains in the Bible that appear throughout different books starting right in Genesis and we went through in them in Psalms and in the prophets with Elijah shaking down the prophets of Baal. Well, it was with God, God's fire. And Moses receiving commandments, etc. Noah, the ark landing on a mountain. And the whole significance of mountains. And I don't want to go over that. But I do want to say that, that mountains tend to be an analogy. I hope I got that right. But they represent a spiritual significance. And sometimes a mountain can be a challenge, but most of the time they're the place of covenant. We saw with Noah and Moses, a place of encounter, and even Abraham, a place of encounter with God. Elijah, have I got an echo here? Okay, good. Um, places of battle and victory. David took um, Zion from the Philistines, and, uh, and even Jesus went to high places when he was tempted by Satan. And we have places of promise and perspective. You know, Moses, Jesus, and John, in the book of Revelation, John is taken up to a high mountain and he sees Revelation from a high point. Um, so I want to just take us a little bit further. You know, and there is, when I did this hike over Christmas, yes, I was left brutalized and injured and did some stupid things and I came back with a limp. Um, and as I said, you know, it was only when I got to the very top that it dawned on me that I was only halfway. <laughs> and I still had to get back again. Um, and remember, I forgot to pack food. Um, and luckily, I had support and on the way back, Heather and Anna were waiting for us at a water stop with a beautiful pool, and they had brought all the food we'd forgotten. Um, thank the Lord for wives that see things floating around um, on tables and make a plan. Um, and we do need help from time to time. But this can be a challenging... So, so, so what I wanted to focus on in terms of the trials and the tribulations, where maybe the journey itself. And we, I am part of a fantastic life group. So if you came in through the front door, you would have seen some notice boards. Those are home groups, or what we call connect groups, where people get to stay connected with each other. And they carry each other's burden, they share the word, they're in prayer. My poor group, I wouldn't say it's my group, but our particular group, has to, every time I'm getting preached, they get subject to a test run. And um, I get my theology corrected. It all works out well. But it is, I would encourage you to look at that board and just see and get yourself plugged in in different ways because there are incredible support mechanisms and 
we are here to build each other up in the body. And so my life group helps me, and, uh, and they do talk about it. And we were talking about the, what climbing this mountain really means. But on the journey, we're talking about primarily an encounter with the Lord. And we'll, I'll get into that in more detail. But on the way, there are a lot of things that get in the way. And I, talked, I said that I encountered every single thing here. There were baboons, and there were snakes on the path. We had to ford rivers, and it had been raining, and the rivers were higher than your, your knee, but you're wading across on loose pebbles and big boulders. So it's not like an easy ford. And we got lost on the way back when we got rid of our guide. We kind of also managed to split up, and, but somehow got our way back. And there were dangers in terms of sudden drops. When you're sitting on top of a mountain, there's just cliff. And um, the dangers of cloud coming in, as I said, I shared, I'd been up there three times, and the first time I'd been up, we, had, we couldn't complete the hike because clouds rolled in, and it was so dangerous on top there because there were vertical drops of 100 meters or more. Um, we had to cl- clear off. And then there's factors that affect you. Personally, hunger, someone forgot the food, it was Anna, no, Anna wasn't a hike, can't blame her, but um, there was fatigue, Altitude sickness, um, wear and tear on the body. I wasn't fit enough. And, and it did result in a little bit of mental, I'm going to say mental anguish. When you, you're sort of climbing and you've been hiking for about seven hours. And then you get to the steepest point. And you're sitting at that and you're just looking up. And you're thinking, I um, don't know if I can do this. These are physical distractions that affect the body and the mind. But what do they have to do with seeking God face to face? Glad you asked. (laughs) And I shared the Psalm 24 verse 3. That was one of the key verses that I used, which talked about who then is allowed to ascend the mountain of the Lord, or the mountain of Yahweh. And David goes on to say, who is the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Well, says, those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth, those who never deceive, whose words are sure, they will receive Yahweh's blessing and righteousness given by the Savior God. They will stand before God, for they seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. Okay, Richard, Old Testament, there's a lot of work and effort here. So, glad that you picked it up. (laughs) And it is, we cannot do this. We cannot stand before God face to face. But Christ that lives inside of us can. Because Jesus is clean. His works and ways were pure. His heart is true. And he is sealed by the truth. And so we see that It is through Christ that this is fulfilled. But the promise stays the same. We can seek God's face, face to face. Now, now that is radical. You can have, when Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, he could not see God's face. 
God went past him. And I'm going to go, go into that. He still received glory of a type. It is different for us. Because Christ has made the way. Lord says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, life. But there's something else here. When you stand before God, they will seek the pleasure of God's face. So, it's not about seeking God's hands. It's about seeking God's face. Okay? Which is mean that you're looking at someone. When you look at someone in the face, what happens to everything else? You lock eyes and everything else kind of disappears. And I'm going to elaborate that on a little bit more. Oh, Richard, that was deep. Thank you. Thoughts are two. Um, <laughs> and there's something significant in the last line of this particular verse. It talks about the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. It doesn't say anything about Noah, Abraham, or Isaac. What is so special about Jacob? Okay, and we'll come back to some of these. That was just in part five of the sermon. Um, so, from a high place, things change. What possessed me to go up? I still don't know. When my psychologist tells me, I'll let you know. Um, the challenge, for one, it was on my bucket list of things to do. But when you, you're up, the fatigue kind of disappears, kind of. I'm lying, I suppose, but things change. You're not the same person you were when you were at the bottom. Okay, now you're bleeding and tired and, okay, that was a joke again. Sorry, I must control myself. But your perspective changes, and I want to talk about this, face-to-face -face with God. So, when we, we make judgment calls all the time in our lives, we decide that we are going to wake up this morning and either bunk church or come. And I honestly had to make the judgment call this morning. It was raining. I was lying in bed. The alarm went off twice. And I kept switching it off. And Heather had got up and left and to make me coffee. Thank you, Lord, for a faithful wife. Yeah, Heather is fantastic. The dog didn't leave any presents. It was a good morning. But I had to make a call. I forget the fact that I was preaching. Steve's here on backup. Um, and we make a judgment call based on three things. We make a judgment call on the system that we're in, our perspective. So we sit, I'm either here in Pine Town or I'm in a particular, I work in a particular environment with engineers, Lord help me. Um, and I have certain facts. So the facts are that, you know, the murder rate in South Africa is X, or um, load shedding is now a routine part of life. Maybe that's a fact. Um, and then I have values. And the values are the lenses through which I filter things through. So I have the facts. And I've got more facts than you've got. Because I'm an electrical engineer, and I was around 15 years ago when we said, guys, we're going to run out of power in 10 years' time. I was one of the people that put my hand up and said, we're going to run out of power. Um, and so my understanding of the facts is different to yours, and my values 
are also shaped by many, maybe different things. My parents' upbringing, you know, the fact that I came from maybe a broken home, they shape my values. The fact that I became born again at university. <laughs> Jawohl, and I like German. That actually is also maybe shapes my values. I eat German sausage and sauerkraut. Yes, I love it. Now, so we, we look at the system, the facts and the values, and we filter and we make decisions. And we make judgment calls. I don't like this person, or I like that person, or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. We're doing it every second of the day. I wouldn't say every second, but often. That's how we, how we process information in our brains. But I have to ask a question. Do we actually have all the facts? And... Are our values pure? And do we actually have the full view of the universe and everything in it? And the answer to all three questions is no. But God does. See, God's value is one thing only, love. That's why when we look at an earthquake in Turkey that just took out a whole... 100,000 people, whatever it is. How can a loving God do that? We don't have the facts. We don't understand the system, and we're not aligned to God's values to make that call on God. We're judging Him, but we don't have all the facts. We don't know what's going on, but He does. When you look at things that are happening, we make a call. You know, how could a loving God allow COVID to happen? We don't have the facts. God does. We're not aligned to his values yet. We are being transformed into his image. And we don't have the view of the universe. I don't have to wake up every day and say, which is the lesser good? That rapist over there who just raped some child. I don't understand what God's purposes are for them. Maybe they become born again and they save a million people. But I would have their head chopped off in five seconds. That's my call. I'm not gracious or merciful. <laughs> Maybe it was me who was that person once. And now I'm here preaching before you. You don't know my background. We're not ready to make judgments. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they started doing this thing. They started making judgment calls. They knew right and wrong now. There is only one judge. Because he is pure love. That gives him the right to judge. Because he is pure love. But what happens is when we are in God's presence, you align to his values. You see the universe from his perspective or what he reveals to you and your facts about things change. So what actually happens is that Face-to-face -face encounter with God moves you from outside God's perspective to align with what God is doing. And that's why you pursue this encounter with God. It's so that we, we can step into what He is doing and align with His values and plans and purposes. You know, we always ask, what is God's plan for my life? Step into God's will with what He's doing right now. What's that? Well, what has he shown you to do? Lay it on your heart. 
Um, and so what we see here is Moses used to see God face to face on a regular basis. And he had a veil. Whenever he entered the Lord's presence, this is Moses, to speak with him, this is the tabernacle, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This guy was radiating God's glory. See, so when you're with God face to face, we cannot but absorb His glory. One of my favorite parts in the Bible, and I didn't add it in here at all, was even the Ark of the Covenant represented God's glory. Touched it and you die. But there was some non-Jewish guy who just kept the Ark in safekeeping. And in that presence, just there was abundance of blessing. When the Ark moved back, to, to Jerusalem, he says, I'm going with. I'm not going to leave this presence of God. Um, and there is this radiation. We cannot but be changed and transformed through this encounter. Hebrews 10 verses 9, 19. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and without hesitation. So, Jesus has made the way by his blood. We can now enter where? The most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm. What do you think the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm is? It's where God is. Face-to-face encounter with God. That is quite hectic. But, there's a but. (laughs) Verse 35 and 36. There is hardship and there's a call to persevere. So don't lose your bold, courageous faith. Which means you can not lose your faith of salvation, but you can lose your way in in following the plans and purposes that God has with you. For you are destined for a great reward. You need the strength of endurance, that's verse 36, to reveal the poetry of God's will, and then you will receive the promise in full. What is God's will? When you persevere and are in His presence face to face, His will will work itself out in your life anyway. So, that is often the challenge. The climbing of the mountain is not that we need to fight to get into his presence. The climbing the mountain is the hundreds of distractions that creep into life that will distract us from spending time there. And all the myriad of things that will come and rob you, the perseverance required and the hardships that come, I'm not even going to tell you what my week was like. <laughs> Steve and I were commiserating. Yeah. Um, 
first world problems. But why the God of Jacob? It said that, that, that this face-to-face encounter was a blessing aligned to Jacob. They will stand before God, for they seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. Why the God of Jacob? So I went and explored this a little bit. Jacob wasn't a saint. (laughs) He was a lying swindler. He was a con man of note. He conned his brother out of his inheritance. He would steal, cheat, and lie whenever he could. But, (laughs) there was a blessing that came upon him. Genesis 28. He stuck, he had faith in God, despite who he was. He still believed that God was better than he was to, to accomplish his purposes. So what is Jacob's blessing? Genesis 28, verse 15, 16 from the NIV. God says this to him, I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised you. So Jacob is speaking. God is speaking to Jacob and says, I will never abandon you. And you will accomplish the plans and purposes for you, and then I will bring you back. And in the New Testament context, you know, Jacob sits outside of the law, Abraham, Isaac, Moses' Ten Commandments hadn't happened yet. And you'll see that Paul often refers back to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had faith in what God was going to accomplish through Christ, looking forward. But now, as Christians, I believe God is saying to you, I am with you. I am going to accomplish my plans and purposes that I have for you here now, before we go back to heaven, which is the land that you will return to. We're not of this place. And I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised I believe that same, when we sit with God face to face, that same trust and faith in what God prayed over Jacob is for us. God will not leave us. He will accomplish his plans and purposes through us before we return up to eternal heaven. Now, there's something about holding fast. So what Jacob ended up wrestling so what actually happens, this was a, he was under immense stress. Let, let's put a little bit of context here. So Jacob has swindled his brother. He's now gone to his, his uncle, Laman. He's got, got swindled himself and ended up with two wives. God has blessed him with hundreds of cattle and camels and goats and servants. And he comes with this massive armada of blessing that God has heaped upon him. He gets to this river, and he's going to cross over into um, his brother's land and domain. He sends everyone ahead of him, 
and he sends presents forward, but he is scared because he doesn't know what reception he's in for. They didn't leave on the best of terms. He fled. <laughs> and that night, he wrestles with God. It's just him. There's no one else around. All the property that he puts his faith in, he's let go of. His family that he relies on, he's let them cross the river. It's just him and God. And he wrestles with God. In a sense, we know that God is not going to lose this battle. <laughs> but he, he doesn't let go. And when God realizes that he's not prepared to let go, God gives him the blessing. He's willing to fight for, and he had a face-to-face -face encounter. It actually says, it's because I saw God face-to-face. -face. This is Jacob. Saw God face-to-face. And he was willing to wrestle for that. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans. That's not struggle as in, God, you're my enemy. That's a, this is the struggle of, I, I want God's plans and purposes for my life. And I'm willing to wrestle God for that. Israel is... Israel means one who prevails with God. So face-to-face -face encounter with God transforms us, resulting in revelation, perspective, breakthrough, or direction. I think it's worthwhile, and I said this in the first preach, is that we don't do this in our strength. We come to Christ by the Holy Spirit. He has been there. He was sent to, to be our guide. And so we always say, we say, come Holy Spirit. And it's through the Spirit that we can freely enter into God's presence. He's our guide. And he says, he'll teach you how to do it. But I, I want to make this point. We, we, we've alluded to a mountain. And there's a perception that we need to struggle up the mountain. Okay. In some ways, we have to struggle against what the world is doing to stop us with a face-to-face -face encounter with God and the personal challenges. But Christ descends down to us. John 6, 8, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Christ came down and then took us up to be seated in heavenly places. So you see this movement. Now in the Old Testament, Moses had to climb the mountain to get the word of God. God, Jesus is the word. He comes down and fetches us up. It's a radical revelational change between law and grace. We are then raised up, Ephesians 2 verse 6. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. This movement of Christ coming down and yanking us up. <laughs> it's, it's amazing imagery. But do we stay up there? Is the question. And I, I want to end on this. The story of the Good Samaritan. I was, I've been wrestling with how to close this. I thought this is probably the best 
example. So many of you might have heard this, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke 10. And it's a, a leader in the law challenges Jesus about helping his neighbor. And in reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and we saw him and took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra that you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who has mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. So, it's an interesting story. But there's a spiritual underlying message behind this. Because the Levite and the priest supposedly were supposed to be the ones having face-to-face encounters with God and custodians of God's goodness for this world. It's the Samaritan that steps in. And without bringing a heavy, we don't want to do that, but who is the robber? In our context, the robber is Satan. And who is the person that's on the road? It's our neighbor. People that don't know Christ. Now we have been given everything we need. And when we have, there are two ways of doing it. We can be legalistic. Or when we are aligned with Christ in terms of having face-to-face time with Him, His heart becomes our heart. Our heart aligns to His heart. It's easy to be a good neighbor. And the Holy Spirit guides us in this. And so, how do I do God's will? Just go and do likewise. Where God lays on your heart an act of kindness or mercy, you step into it. Just be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But it's the difficulty is if you're not spending face-to-face time with God, you can serve, but you will serve out of, of obligation, out of law, and out of a desire to please God, which is not necessarily, I want, to be, I want to be careful here, not necessarily obedience. If it's done to tick a box and your heart hasn't been transformed by, by that encounter with God, I'm trying to not lead you into condemnation, but the same token, we need to align ourselves with God before we rush off. There's a great need. The workers are few. We saw the skit today. But it should come out of a place of revelation as opposed to duty. Um, you see? Oh, that is the last slide. Okay, that was it. <laughs> so... I'm going to summarize 
in the sense that when I started climbing a mountain can be challenging, especially if you're not fit and ill-prepared. And we've got things like the Bible, the Word of God, fellowship with believers. And I talked about how I had people on the way, and I had a guide that helped me get to that place of encounter. And so, like us in the church, we have the opportunity of having relationships with other believers, like neck groups or, or methods of fellowship that build us up in the body and point us towards an encounter with Christ. That's why I love my life group. We have radical times where we seek the face of God. There are words of knowledge and the Holy Spirit is moving and we're encouraging each other in the faith in that time. That is pulling each other and pushing each other and aligning each other to an encounter with God. And from that point, you can now turn out to the world that is in need with, with the same plans and purposes that God has. Jesus said, I don't, do, I don't do anything in my own strength. I only do what the Father shows me. And the, well, Jesus used to regularly go up to the top of mountains to have a quiet time or just spend time with God. And there's not a challenge about having quiet times. And Oh Lord, I didn't have my little quiet time. I read out of my message book. The ability to enter into God's presence is a simple act of surrender. When we can say less of me and more of you, Lord, I'm going to put this out. But you don't need to come clean. What did I just say? You don't need to come clean. You can come clean with God. Lord, I've done this. But that's not what's stopping you from entering his presence because Christ has made you clean. Already. So that's just a cop-out. It's, it's, it's the intentionality of I'm going to start this journey of setting my eyes on Christ so that I can seek Him face to face and then I will be able to align myself with what God is doing in this world that will see the kingdom of God come. The kingdom of God is here now in this place. He is moving. He hasn't stopped working Christ is building his church and God doesn't have a holiday. He gave us a holiday. Well, he rests on the seventh day. Well, it is finished. But the Bible also says that he doesn't stop working to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And if you want to get excited, go and read the book of Revelation. There's a triumphal returning of Christ, which is transformational to fill you with energy and vigor. It's not all doom and gloom. Jump to the last book, where Jesus comes and returns. Um, let's, let's stop there. Let's, can, let's stand and, and pray.